Our reading this morning comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. We're reading chapter 7 through to chapter 8, verse 1. And you can find this on page 956 of our Church Pew Bible. Page 956, Ecclesiastes, commencing chapter 7, verse 1. Please follow it along with me. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of fawns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their lives. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness, and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turn my mind to understand, to investigate and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of weakness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap 
and whose hands are chains. The man who pleasures God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Who is like the wise, who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. This ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dudley. So we're back in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, in the wisdom section of the Old Testament, uh, in search of wisdom. Uh, now, we all want to be wise people. Uh, wisdom in the Bible is not so much the difference between right and wrong. It's not so much whether you're sinning or not, uh, uh, though, of course, there's something of that. Uh, but it's more about making good decisions uh, uh, in God's world the way he created it. Uh, we, we have words for people who are wise. We call them astute, those who seem to have the knack of timing, uh, just making the right decisions at the right time. You think of an astute investor. Uh, we all want to be astute. Uh, you, we use the word shrewd, uh, people who are good at observing people. Uh, knowing whether they're lying or not, knowing whether they're genuine or not, knowing whether they side with them or not. There, there's, there's something of shrewdness about wisdom. And we want to be people who are astute and shrewd, making good decisions based on timing, resources, character. Uh, people who think well about life in God's world. This is the category of wisdom. And in Ecclesiastes, we're, we're travelling with a wise teacher uh, who is possibly King Solomon. Uh, and this teacher is confronting his successes and failures. Uh, he's confronting life around him and, and doing what we all do or should do, looking for wisdom. And, and so, so often he comes up with one word to describe what he sees. Uh, he looks at the situation and said it is meaningless. Uh, now, a better translation might be the word vaporous or breath or transient or pfft. But that's what he says as he looks at each of the parts of the world that he's observing. And Ecclesiastes is hard to read. I wonder if you felt this as Dudley was reading it. Uh, we're back here again. You know, Ecclesiastes has a weight that comes with it. Uh, it's a bit like you're reading someone's journal of disappointment. You know, uh, he looks at the things that we put faith in. He looks at our possessions, our money, uh, and says, all of it. And so traveling this journey with him, it forces us to reevaluate what we treasure and what we trust in, what we think about our lives. And today we come to a bit of a crunch point as we evaluate life with him. Uh, we evaluate when things go wrong. Uh, the heart of the passage, uh, have a look down at verse 15. Uh, I believe this is the heart of the passage here. In this meaningless 
life of mine, I have seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. How do you make sense of those situations? Uh, I mean, we've all witnessed these sort of things, haven't we? When good things happen to bad people and when bad things happen to good people. How, how do you be wise in the face of that? Now, before we get there, it, it's really important just to see the discussion around uh, foolishness versus wisdom that we begin with. So we'll start there and then we'll head back to this, this issue of meaninglessness uh, uh, as we're struck by suffering. And then thirdly, we'll have a look at uh, the impact that sin has on wisdom. So firstly, uh, seeking wisdom, this might sound simple, but, but it's quite surprising as we look at it. Seeking wisdom is actually about avoiding foolishness. Uh, I mean, we, we already know that uh, we want to seek wisdom. Wisdom is better than foolishness. That's already been established in Ecclesiastes. Remember Ecclesiastes 2.13, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. So we want wisdom. It's, it's light rather than darkness. Um, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that wisdom is pricier than pearls, that it's more valuable than gold. So, so I presume you're on board with chasing wisdom. Uh, but we find in this passage some really surprising observations about wisdom um, and where you find it. Uh, well, let's start from the top, uh, 7, seven one. Um, uh, Just before, as you, as you find 7.1, let me ask you a question. Would you rather go to a wedding or a funeral? Yeah, a wedding. Yeah, right. Now let me ask you a different question. Is it better for you to go to a wedding or a funeral? Let's have a look. 7-1, uh, a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Verse 3, frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. See, uh, fools prefer weddings and parties. Wise people prefer where, uh, funerals. Like, I love it when God tells me something I don't expect him to say. Uh, weddings are fun if the bride is on time. Um, weddings are fun. Uh, uh, funerals are sad. Uh, funerals are times of grieving. We associate our positive emotions with weddings and our negative emotions with funerals. But perhaps that's mistaken. Perhaps that's foolish. Uh, suffering is instructive. It teaches us. Now, of course, weddings are still good. Don't RSVP saying I'm not coming. It wouldn't, wouldn't be wise. Please RSVP, yes, you're coming. But, but as you go to a funeral, as you watch people grieving, as you grieve yourself, you're exposed to something that we usually try and avoid thinking about and talking about. Uh, at funerals, we confront our own mortality as compared to God's eternity. Uh, at funerals, you're struck by the important things of life, things that you are thankful for, things that uh, are of importance that you regret doing or wish you had done uh, it's rare to come away with that weight of reflection from a wedding. 
Now, for us, as opposed to the writer of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, we live in a time post-Jesus, after Jesus has lived, died, and, 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 and risen from the dead. We, we live after the time of Jesus' uh, defeated death. So as we go to funerals, we're reminded of God's love for his people, his saving grace, his resurrection, his work of redemption. Uh, we think about those things at a wedding but they hit us with an unmatched force at a Christian funeral, don't they? Do you hear this call to wisdom? There's wisdom here. There's also here a call away from foolishness. We hear that in verse 6. We find another meaningless. Have a look at verse 6 there. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. I had to look up the sound of crackling of thorns on YouTube. I hadn't heard it before. But it just sounds like cackling. That's what it sounds like. Um, uh, the, the point here is that joining the laughter of fools is, is, is vaporous. It's transient. The fool's laughter is a sudden flame that goes up a display of sparks but is soon spent and easily put out. Surrounding this verse is a warning against foolishness. Uh, there are four dangers of foolishness here, four obstacles to wisdom. Uh, the foolishness of corruption you see in verse 7. The foolishness of impatience, you see in verse 8. In verse 9, the foolishness of bitterness and quick tempers. And, and fourthly, the foolishness of nostalgia in verse 10. Let me read that for you. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Here's another thing I didn't expect the Bible to tell me as I read it. I never thought of nostalgia as foolishness. That wisdom doesn't come from speaking glowingly about the past. So in this quest for wisdom, uh, we recognise firstly that it's good to seek wisdom. Uh, yet wisdom is found in surprising places. Uh, wisdom is found in funerals as we face up to our own mortality. Uh, and for us, after Jesus, remembering the power of the resurrection. Of course, we also see in this section... Uh, the, the cackling of fools, which is meaningless. Wise people sit at a distance from foolishness. Wise people avoid those four types of foolishness, the corruption, the impatience, the quick anger and the nostalgia. Just when we're ready to get on the bandwagon for wisdom, uh, ready to hop on board, the writer then hits us with the limitation of wisdom. Uh, and so that's what I want to deal with secondly. Secondly, recognise the limitation of wisdom that can be found. Let's read verse 11 uh, uh, onwards. Verse 11 onwards. Uh, wisdom is like an inheritance. Is, uh, uh, sorry, wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten? What, is, what he has made crooked. When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. And so we see here, wisdom is good. Uh, uh, being wise is beneficial. Uh, described here in financial terms. 
While we live a life under the sun, wisdom is a roof over our head. Our wise decisions will protect us. I don't need to convince you that wisdom is good. But here's the rub, though. Your wisdom, my wisdom, that shelters from the storms of life is limited. Verse 13, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? This isn't the first time we've come across this, uh, th th this, uh, this truth. In the first chapter, um, the teacher uh, uh, in Ecclesiastes was recognising the limitation of wisdom. Have a look at 1 verse 12. Uh, if you flip back in your Bibles to 1 verse 12, we'll see it there. Um, 1 verse 12. Uh, uh, I was the teacher over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. What is crooked, recognize that, cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also to madness and folly. But I learned this too is a chasing after the wind for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And so we see again in chapter seven, there's a limitation to our wisdom. Our wisdom will only carry us so far, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, when times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Do you hear that? There's a, just a roadblock in our wisdom there that we just can't pass. Uh, yet here God's word says, be careful of your limits. You know, I think we're used to always having answers to our questions. Say if you have a medical condition, condition, you're generally confident that when you find the right doctor, you'll find what's going on. Like if you've got enough resources, you'll be able to find out what the problem is. Well, we, we, um, we have this uh, conviction that we can find out the answer to anything we want if we've got enough resources, right? And yet God's word here says, no, actually, no, you don't. Uh, no, you can't. Part of this quest for wisdom is recognising its limits. There are some things we will never know. Um, someone said this about the book of Ecclesiastes, and, I, and it rung true. Uh, he said, God holds the keys to all unknown, but often God won't give it to you. Uh, since you do not have the keys, you must trust him. Uh, it's funny, I hear this phrase in the face of disaster. Um, everything happens for a reason. Have you heard that? Uh, there's a comfort in that phrase, everything happens for a reason. I think the comfort is the presumption that one day you'll find out the reason. But here's the thing. Uh, you might actually just never know. Uh, as unsatisfying as that thought is, that right there is wisdom. Okay, so what? Well, there's another verse uh, I don't expect to read in the Bible. It's verse 16 uh, of chapter 7. Um, so our response to this is what? Uh, verse 16, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? It's an odd verse, isn't it? It's not saying don't try to be righteous. It's not trying, uh, saying don't try to be wise. Uh, it's not saying don't settle for wickedness. 
but, but, but it's saying no matter how wise you are, no matter how righteous you are, even no matter how low you stoop in wickedness, you will still not find out the reason for the sadness. Rather, through fearing God, you won't actually need those extremes. You can rest in the knowledge that God has this under control. And we circle back to the truth that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You see that at the beginning of Proverbs. Uh, so as we read, read these verses earlier, verse 14, when times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. So rather than getting bitter or, or angry with God or angry with others, rather than feeling jilted by justice, we say in the words of Isaiah, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are the work of your hands. The wise and godly response in all of this is to fear God, to trust in his purposes, recognising that we often don't know what they are. Now, it's easy to say, but it's very hard to do. But that is wisdom. And wisdom is what we're to pursue, recognising that part of the pursuit of wisdom is actually just recognising the limitations of human wisdom. Now, thirdly, we get to see that it's not just foolishness that gets in the way of wisdom, but sin gets in the way of our wisdom. Uh, it's as if Solomon, or whoever the writer is, is thinking through his conclusions, thinking about how righteous people suffer, and suddenly he thinks, hold a minute, who's righteous anyway? There's no one righteous. Um, have a look at verse 19. Uh, wisdom makes one person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Now, after a really helpful section here, I don't have time to, to, to go through on being wise with the sins of others in verse 21, 22. He returns to this topic of unrighteousness uh, that is everywhere. Have a look at verse 27. Look, says the teacher, this is what I've discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching but not founding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they've gone in search of many schemes. Now, I want to particularly address these verses because I reckon they're pretty volatile. <laughs> um, uh, now, to be honest, uh, since as he says there is no one righteous, uh, verse 20, I'm surprised that he can find anyone that is righteous. And it's probably more of a surprise that he's found a man who is. But um, uh, now, now why? What's he saying this for? Um, it, it's possible if Solomon's writing this, uh, the woman he sees, it's a reference to his wives and concubines. We're told in 1 Kings 11.3 that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's 1,000 women. Now, I suspect if you're looking for righteousness, that's probably not the sample group you should be going for, right? Um, uh, if he had one wife, there would be a better chance of him finding righteousness, right? Um, the other thing to say, even if it wasn't Solomon writing this, um, in the wisdom books of the Bible, it frequently goes back to the, the story of creation. Um, and uh, there's a... There's a a frequent return to that theme. I take it here that he might be just telling the story of creation and the fall again. And, of course, Eve is part of that, uh, the fall in Genesis 3. 
uh, in the same way that's picked up later in the Bible in places like 1 Timothy 2, retelling the origin of sin. Irrespective of what is correct, his conclusion is, is in verse 29. This is what he says, This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they've gone in search of many schemes. So it would be a great shame to get distracted here by the counter-cultural words from the point that sin impedes our wisdom. If we weren't sinful, we'd be more wise. Now, as we apply this back to the bad things that happen in the world, some bad things are a result of sin. We know that. But not every bad thing that happens is a result of sin. However, we need to recognise the limitations that we have, both the general limitations of our humanness, that we can't understand everything, and the limitations of sin, that our sin stops us from understanding that which we could understand. And so, friends, this week, as we come back to Ecclesiastes, we come back to the bleakness of the realities of our breath-short existence. However, as people who live after Jesus, we have the hope of better things to come. Uh, we may not know the answers to, to, to all of our questions. We have this side of question. Uh, but we do know this in our suffering. God loves us deeply. How do we know that? Well, we know that because the righteous son suffered what the wicked deserved, right? Uh, he asked the question, why the wicked receive what the righteous, des- uh, what, what the righteous deserve? Verse 20 describes us too. Indeed, there is no one, no one on earth who is righteous, not, no one who does what is right and never sins. Yet we know God's love because we know, as 2 Corinthians says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We may not know the answers to our complex questions, why bad things happen, but we know God's love in our Saviour Jesus Christ. Let me just pull those threads together. Firstly, it's good to seek wisdom because wisdom is a shelter. Wisdom is about making good decisions in God's world the way he created, being a shrewd, uh, shrewd and astute. Um, uh, we want to be people <clears throat> who make good decisions. Uh, and we want to use this wisdom when we confront our own mortality, the frustrations of life, the big questions that queue up following suffering. Uh, We grow in wisdom when we avoid joining in with the cackling of fools, Uh, for that is meaningless, it's transient, it's vaporous. We grow in this wisdom when we turn away from foolishness, uh, corruption, impatience, quick tempers, nostalgia. It's possible to grow in wisdom. But secondly, we see the reality is, this side of heaven, that our wisdom will always be limited. The writer faces up to this truth when he recognises that sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. And he realises the limitation that he has in working out why. And there, of course, is the limitation, thirdly, of sin. Sin limits our wisdom. There's no one righteous. And that lack of true righteousness means that in our search of wisdom, it will never be what it could be. And so many of our questions about suffering go unanswered. But in this we know. We know the love of God. We know the love of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that we have been saved from what we deserve so that in the age to come, we will be raised like Jesus to live 
in a time of no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away.